Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I paid the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five. Welcome into the Fizz Five. It's a new series here from Orange Fizz. We break down the top five headlines from Syracuse Athletics. And it might be new, but this is the third week of it. But it is a new crew with Carter Bainbridge. I'm Cameron Ezer breaking down those top five topics. And Carter, I know basketball season's over, but I've been watching March Madness with so much intensity and it stinks that Syracuse can't be in it because I, I feel like I'd be on the edge of my seat even more if Syracuse was in it. Yeah, especially if they played in the tournament like they did last year. That was uh, probably their best brand of basketball that they waited until the tournament to play with a suffocating defense and just bombs away from Buddy Bayheim. It was an enjoyable time, especially to be on campus for the both of us. And it's too bad that Syracuse's run of postseasons came to an end. But I don't know about you. I would much rather miss the tournament and just be done with it than try to linger around in the CBI or anything like that. I mean, just kind of have to get, let sleeping dogs lie and try to get ready for next year to make a run. I, I think if you're Syracuse basketball, and I know that they, they wouldn't have accepted an NIT invitation, or that's my guess. I think I would have went for the NIT, but not the CBI. When it comes to... Uh, when it comes to the NCAA tournament, I know everyone knew Syracuse wasn't going to make it. So it was just the, the waiting game of was this team completely done? Are you going to make uh, a lower level tournament? But either way, I bring up basketball because although it's done for Syracuse men's basketball, I feel like the talk is still, you know, on the top of, of everyone's minds because, you know, this is a basketball team that wildly underperformed and you go into the next season with, Five new recruits, Judah Mintz, someone that you know visited Syracuse uh, in, in that Duke game. He's probably going elsewhere. So now you're Syracuse. You know you have the five recruits, but you also know you have a few other guys coming back. One in specific, Benny Williams. And I'm really curious to what you have to say about this because there's a lot of speculation surrounding, you know, will Benny Williams start for this team next season with nobody, no Jimmy, supposedly no Cole? What's your uh, what's your two cents on that? My immediate gut reaction is to say no, but there are variables there that might change. So like you said, there are the five recruits coming in, possibly six if Judah Mintz, you know, decides to flip. Of course, right now, it looks like if you believe 24-7 sports that he is leaning towards DePaul at the moment. But you're right, he did visit Syracuse. Three of his final four teams were ACC teams, so there's clear interest there. But Syracuse knows it has five recruits already in the bag. Um, Justin Taylor among them, Chris Bunch, Kadir Copeland. Um, these are guys who are going to be jockeying for playing time. I think Jim Beheim said at, at some point that there were going to be freshmen who were going to play, which is you, not really his cup of tea. And I think he showed that this year with Williams because Benny only played a little over 10 minutes a game and struggled with his shot, you know, shot just under 34% on the year. I just don't think Syracuse can roll into next season with two starters, the other being Samir Torrance, who's coming back as a guard. Like They can't roll into next season with two guys who have major issues just with their jump shot because Samir Torrance is a good passer, is a good distributor, but is limited with what he gives you offensively because his shot just isn't there. Betty Williams had the exact same problem. So, if Benny's going to start next year, Syracuse needs to either develop him more or show they can just develop freshmen better 
and help along some of the guys they're bringing in along with Williams because he's not just going to suddenly be a star who's going to do it himself and just propel himself into the starting role. He's going to have to have some help around him too. Yeah, I just I'm curious to see when you look at Jim Beheim and his philosophy over the past couple of years, where it's you know veterans, veterans, veterans. We'll throw in Joe Girard as you know as a freshman. Once Jalen Carey goes down, maybe he can be our our new freshman presence. And and then you look at ten years ago, right, with all those freshmen that got it done when Syracuse was the number one team in the country, and that's the Syracuse basketball that I think all of us you know wish that this team could emulate. Uh, I think Benny Williams does start next season, uh, but I'm very hesitant with saying that because I'm not Jim Beheim. I still have a, uh, my hair is not gray yet. I'm not losing my hair. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not the head man for 46 years. I'm, I, I'm not the basketball mind that Jim Beheim is. And as much as I want to say that Betty Williams becomes your sixth man, because I think he'd be great in that role coming off the bench and maybe assisting Simeir Torrance or even replacing Simeir Torrance. If, if Torrance needs a rest, I just, I, I don't know if I can see Justin Taylor or Chris Bunch starting on this team. And I think that's the only other alternative. And I've been on the record to say Justin Taylor's starting and Benny Williams is coming off the bench. But over the past couple of days, I've kind of thought to myself and said, well, do I believe that Jim Beheim is going to start someone right off the cuff that is just coming into the program? Now I don't, right? It is Cole Swider coming back. I think he possibly does. If he doesn't, I don't know if that changes much because Benny Williams has more experience. And Jim Beheim has shown over and over again, it doesn't matter if you're better. He's going to go with experience. So he did with Kadari Richmond, right? You, everyone thought, okay, Kadari's getting the start over Joe. Joe always got the start because of experience. So I think that Jim Beheim is going to go off the philosophy of uh, Benny Williams has earned it. I mean, that's, that, that's my two cents in it because as much as I want to believe that Justin Taylor should start, I, I just, I don't think Jim's going to do it. Like, do you think like if you had a choice between Chris, Justin, and Benny, who would you pick to start at the three or four? Or would you run a combo? I would probably have to give it to Benny. If I had no prior knowledge of how they were practicing, how they were doing, or like any of the politics going on within the team of, you know, who was in Bayheim's doghouse and who was impressing him or anything like that, because Benny would have a year under his belt. And it's not like he just burned all his bridges this year either. I mean, he, he always said he's coming back. He rejected the idea of transfer. He was, you know, shooting after games and going on radio shows and playing the humble card and everything he needed to do he essentially did right. I mean, he really impressed people with how he acted, especially coming in as a highly touted, you know, high school recruit who's probably never had to deal with things like this before where you're not playing, you want to play. And at times he probably has to feel like people don't believe in him. I think at least the fans do. Um, but there are a couple of things working in his favor. Like you said, Behan tends to favor experienced players. I don't think Benny has done anything, at least publicly, to, you know, cost him his confidence in him. And the forward spot on the team is thinning. So Jimmy Beheim is leaving. Cole Swider might be leaving. People thought he was, and then there was that report he wasn't, but people aren't sure at this point. There are three of the five players coming in, in that recruiting class, Bunch and Taylor specifically, but also Malik Brown. You know, can't forget about him. He's 6'9", 210. Um, could fit somewhere in there, too. Of those players, if Swider also leaves, Benny is just by default the most experienced. So yeah. that that just on its own will work to his favor if it comes to that. Yeah, I agree. I think one one issue with Malik Brown, and I, I haven't watched his game 
you know, to, to every single one of his games to know exactly how he plays, but he was pretty much a, a pseudo center on his team at six, nine to 10. And, you know, we've seen in the past Syracuse centers that are maybe undersized. Uh, but, but the, the thing that they don't lack is height in size. I mean, you know, the bulk and the, the Marek Dolajais and even when Jesse Edwards had to gain 15 pounds. So yeah, that's going to be really interesting. I think Benny gets the start. Um, but you know, Jim has said it over and over again. It doesn't matter who starts, right? It matters who finishes. So that'll be interesting going into into next season. And something else that'll be interesting going into next season doesn't just, you know, surround basketball, but also football as well, because, you know, the the spring season is just getting underway for Syracuse football, finally getting the the helmets and the pads back on. And uh, this is a Syracuse football team that's coming in with a whole lot of expectation. Now knowing what Sean Tucker can do, now knowing that Garrett Schrader is your number one, but there's questions about Dan Valari. Will he, you know, the, the transfer from Michigan, will he get some run right behind Garrett Schrader? Can he, you know, work in a wildcat system if Schrader needs a little bit of rest? But also the coaching staff, right? You've got your new offensive coordinator and Robert and I, and then Jason Beck is your quarterback's coach. And Garrett Schrader has talked about it a lot so far in the spring and it's only been a couple weeks that he feels less restricted than he did a season ago so carter you look at this football team and you look at all the new pieces the the quarterback situation the coaching situation uh, what stands out to you the most well the the thing that stood out to me initially and I, i did write an article about this for fizz was when we got to the recruiting class Right now, as, as of this recording, it ranks 69th in the country, 12th in the ACC. It's not an outstanding oh, class. <laughs> it, 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 has, it, it has some players who you would think right away would impress, right? Like LaQuint Allen, the running back from New Jersey, was the Gatorade player of the year in that state. Uh, one of the highest rated players in the class. But like you said, Sean Tucker is the one blocking the way. And I think that for this team in particular that returns plenty of starters, plenty of important starters – Schrader and Tucker specifically, those guys will be the ones who dictate how well this season goes. And you, you talked about Dan Villari, the, the quarterback from Michigan. You know, we, we investigated that and, and wrote a little bit about him when it was revealed that he was coming to Syracuse. And I was thinking a little bit about how much he would play this year. I can't imagine that he'll play that much barring a Schrader injury, which again is possible because Schrader is a, an option quarterback who runs. I mean, he's taking hits like a running back sometimes that he may not have to, if he were just a pocket passer. Uh, and you mentioned Robert and I, the new offensive coordinator who just made his way over from Virginia. That was a big get. I mean, maybe even bigger than any recruit. Those two coaches from UVA bring a lot of experience. They bring a good pedigree really good track record to Syracuse in a place they desperately needed because Sterling Gilbert, previous offensive coordinator for two years, just didn't work out. I mean, there just wasn't a whole lot of comfort with his system. I think this is a jolt that they needed badly. And just an interesting thing to look at. If you look at Virginia's numbers last year, the 2021 season, when they put up really good, almost 35 points per game, top 25 offense scoring in division one in the country Brennan Armstrong was their starting quarterback. He threw for 4,400 yards, 31 touchdowns, but their backup was Jay Wolfhook, right? And if you look at their rushing numbers, I know, right? But here's the thing. He ran the ball 24 times on the season. It's not a whole lot of carries, but it shows that, you know, maybe Robert and I would be inclined if Valari has good speed 
to run a little bit of that wildcat that you mentioned. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's impossible. This isn't just a pass only offense. It seems like they spread the ball around. I mean, no player on Virginia got over a hundred carries last year, um, but five different guys had over 30. So they were spreading the ball around on the ground. And I think it that's the most exciting thing coming into this year is seeing how this new offense functions because Syracuse will probably go as far as the offense takes it really. Especially because just a couple of years ago, the notion was how would the defense function with Tony White coming in from, from the West Coast and that 3-3-5 defense and everyone wondering, well, what does the Rover do? Can Andre Sisco, can he, uh, can he really up his game in that role? And of course happens, you know, the injury and then you got to fill that role and the defense has kind of been all over the place. But last season, the defense wasn't that bad. It seemed like they were adapting to that 3-3-5 and it's because of that new scheme from Tony White and Dino Babers talked about it just a week ago uh, after the first spring practice or the first week of spring practice. And he said, you know, this offense is fired up because a lot like the three, three, five and the defense starting to get used to it. The offense is trying to get used to this, not just a running gun system, but an offense that just wants to take risks. You want to throw, you know, if you want deep shots, go right ahead. You want to run it every single, uh, uh, every single down, but also mix in some wildcat formula, some slot throws, whatever it may be, go right ahead. In terms of offensive efficiency, Virginia was up there at the top of the country. You wouldn't have known it because obviously the Cavaliers don't have this storied program that everyone's watching. But this is huge for Syracuse because now the offense can play a little more free. Now you know what Sean Tucker can do. That makes Garrett Schrader's game a lot more dangerous. That makes the idea of Dan Villari really dangerous. Can the wide receiving core get it done? We have to see. But, yeah, I'm really interested to see how this offense adapts to this new formula just as the defense continues to adapt in the Tony White system. So a lot to look forward to uh, with Syracuse basketball, with Syracuse football. Let's head to our third topic. Now, uh, so – Let's go back to basketball because one thing that we didn't touch on was one that something that really impacted this season, which was the transfer portal. Jimmy Bay, I'm coming in. Cole Swider, Samir Torrance. Did it lead to anything? No, but I think a lot of us had higher expectations for this team. It lost like a couple, one, two, three, four point games that they probably should have won, which would have propelled them into the tournament. So, Carter, are, are there any, you know, should, should SU try to go into the transfer portal and, and pull a couple guys that can bring more experience to this team? Or should it be just, hey, you got these five recruits, try to develop them and play with the guys you know? Because you know Syracuse isn't going to go 10, 11 deep. So do you think that Syracuse should go fishing in the transfer portal? I say yes. Um, oh, not, wow. Not because I really want to say yes, but because I think they have to do it. Uh, I don't think they're going to find Who do you think is there? Do you think it's like a, a a Cole Swider type player that this team is missing? If you look at everyone coming back next season, if he's gone. Well, maybe so, because we we don't really know too much about how the recruits games or how the game of the recruits is going to transition to the college game. I mean, we can watch these guys high school tape all day, but you know, we watched Benny Williams' high school tape too, and you know his jump shot and his play just weren't enough to to crack the starting lineup consistently. I think it's it was bold for Jim Beheim to come out and say that freshmen were going to play, and I, I laud him for that because he's stepping out of his comfort zone and probably doing something that he doesn't really want to do. 
but I, I don't think Syracuse has enough or that they would have enough confidence in these new players to, to bring that production. You know, the, the transfer portal last offseason brought them Cole Swider, Jimmy Bayheim, and Simon Torrance, basically the big three. Two of those guys are starters in Swider and Bayheim. Simon Torrance was essentially their sixth man, got better as the season went along, I would say. Uh, but combined with those guys, almost 2,700 minutes, you know, Jimmy was 50% from uh, two point range. Swider made 81 threes. Torrance was third on the team in assists. I mean, they did contribute. None of these guys are stars. And that's what we have to remember is that Syracuse isn't fishing in the transfer portal for stars. They just have to go and get minutes. They have to get some points because the guys coming back, Jesse Edwards, most improved player this year by far, he's penciled in starter, but he's your center. Joe Girard, at this point, we know what he can and can't do. Jim Beheim probably stuck with him to a fault at times. Decent shooter when he's on, but when he's bad, he's bad. Simir Torrance, other guard, struggling on the shooting end. Good passer. If he can do anything with his jump shot, I think the team would be really freed up. And then maybe Cole Swider, like we said, but we don't know. That five, fifth spot is kind of up for grabs. I wouldn't hate it if they got one or two guys from the portal and just said, hey, you know, we'll play whichever one of you can, you know, find the hot hand, maybe start you out and then maybe transition a freshman in. I just don't think it would be right unless a freshman came in and just carved it up right away and practice and everything to throw them out there game number one and, and expect them to be great because Bayheim's going to play freshman, but he doesn't have a, a history of rolling with those freshmen, at least not recently with these recruits who aren't like really up there, right? It's not, they're not bringing in Carmelo Anthony. They're bringing in some three and four stars who are good players, deservedly so. They're coming to play at Syracuse, a good program. But at the same time, he's not Penny Hardaway. He's not John Calipari. He's not going to, you know, turn water into wine with these freshmen. So I think at the very least, just to give them, just to give the team some peace of mind and some depth, you hit the transfer portal, you get one or two guys, just, you know, some extra pieces here and there, and you roll with that. Anyone in the transfer portal with the last name Bayheim? It's like that's the only right thing to do is continue, continue the Bayheim trend. Is there a uh, is there a Bobby Bayheim out there? Uh, I, okay, I see what you mean. Here's my uh, here's me playing devil's advocate. If Syracuse goes and grabs someone like an Alan Griffin, like a Cole Swider, like a Jimmy Bayheim, you look at this recruiting class. You want Justin Taylor to stay. You want Chris Bunch to be a four year player because he is. Chris Bunch is a borderline, okay, two years to the NBA if he plays really well over the first two years. If he regresses a little bit, he's the four-year player, which is great for Syracuse. You want Kadir Copeland to get some minutes behind Joe and Samir because once Joe's gone, Copeland's your future. You bring in someone like Alan Griffin or someone like Cole Swider, a player like those two, who are going to just absolutely take over all 40 minutes or even 35 of the 40 at a certain position, I think it takes away the trust that someone like one of those players has in Jim Beheim, who recruited them to play and will ultimately lead to some or a majority of those five recruits leaving the program a season later. Although I believe that it is necessary for Syracuse's improvement and development to grab a guy like Cole and Jimmy, I worry that if you bring someone in like that, they're going to completely take up all the minutes that any of these recruits have a chance to at least soak in and maybe get a, a little college basketball under their belt. 
I don't see Justin Taylor, Chris Bunch, Kadir Copeland, Malik Brown, or Peter Carey, especially the first three names. I don't see them dealing with the situation that's at hand as well as Benny Williams did. I think Chris Bunch will transfer if he doesn't play a lot. Justin Taylor, I think he's loyal to the program. I think there's a chance that if he doesn't get the minutes he deserves, because I think he deserves a lot of them. I think he should, I, at one point, I thought he should start. I think he could transfer. Kadir Copeland, the exact same way. So that is my devil's advocate point. As much as I think that Syracuse needs a, a, a junior, senior, that's a really good, you know, catch and shoot type player, but that can also penetrate. I think it takes away from the development of this program. And I, I like the point you made, and I'll hit on this right before we, we move on. You mentioned the word trust, and I, I like that you said that and that you made that point because it doesn't take a, a deep memory to just remember last offseason when Kadari Richmond and Woody Newton left. I mean, how quickly we forget his name, too. Both those guys kind of had similar reasons that they gave for why they left. I think Newton even used the word trust with the program when he went to Oklahoma state and basically said, I thought I was going to get a different role. And I trusted that I would be a different type of contributor for this team. And I wasn't. And I, Richmond said something like my relationship with Syracuse just never developed or, you know, his relationship with uh, Seton hall was better, which I guess if you flip it around, just met his relationship with Syracuse was never that good to begin with. Right. Uh, they didn't, they didn't strengthen it anyway. So, you know, I, I think you definitely hit on something there and that's, that's going to be one of the bigger things that we look at as we head towards the fall. Of course, it's a long way away. I mean, we just got out of the regular season. And I think what works to Syracuse's advantage with the freshmen, if they want to play them or not, is that they don't have super big expectations anymore for next season. I mean, you now just had your first losing season. It's not like you're, you know, bringing back the, the squad to try to make another run. You're not starting in the top 25. So they're going to have some time to work out some of those wrinkles early on with freshmen if they choose to do it. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And that's why it's one of our, you know, five topics, because I don't think it, it ever dies away here in Syracuse is the talk of the, the Syracuse men's basketball team. Now let's shift over and let's talk about lacrosse because this is lax season, knowing that basketball is over and football's kind of in the waiting wings. Syracuse women's lacrosse. Coming off, in my opinion, just, just a really bad loss to Florida. I mean, as much as I want to I want to look at this team and say, okay, one of the best in the country, but they're gonna they're gonna have their hurdles, right? Every other team is gonna give them their best. You're chasing Boston College. Every team in the country is chasing Boston College right now. And if you can't beat a team like Florida, I, I don't think you can beat a team like BC. So that's why I think I'm a little more harsh on this SU women's lax team, even though there's a lot, of, there's a lot of season to play. So Syracuse coming off a loss to Florida, instant reaction to that. And do you think that this, you know, maybe exposes something in the Syracuse system? I'm not sure I would, I would jump that far, but I'll tell you what I have noticed as the season has gone along and what I, was not surprised by when I saw the Florida result is that clutch play for this team and those close wins were bound to eventually bite them because it's just a very fickle thing. I mean, they, they beat Stony Brook by one. They beat Notre Dame by one. They lost to Northwestern by one in an overtime game. They beat Duke by two. They blew out Virginia by six. I mean, that game was, was pretty in control, but then Florida, it was a close game after the first quarter. I mean, Syracuse fell behind six to nothing, which was by far their worst start of the year. And if I remember correctly, slow starts were a problem last year too. 
for the team. I mean, Gary Gate was the coach then, and now it's Kayla Trainer. But that's something to keep your eye on as the season goes along. I mean, if you start poorly against these ranked teams, Florida got ahead six to nothing, and then Syracuse, you know, played them pretty even the rest of the way, outscored them ten to eight, but still lost fourteen to ten. You just can't do that. I mean, that's that's a problem, especially in a sport as as fast paced and as high scoring as lacrosse. I mean, Syracuse almost didn't score the whole first quarter, got until the twenty five second mark, and then uh, Emily Harrischuk finally scored unassisted. So. The main thing that I saw from that was it's an unfortunate loss. It is against a ranked team, but Syracuse has gotten away with some very close wins this year. They were bound to eventually get bitten by that close game bug if they kept on doing it. And I think a bad start without it would have been a close game anyway. So losing by four in lacrosse, I mean, it's nothing to be ashamed of. I know the men's team did that to Maryland couple weeks ago so team is still six and two and they're in pretty good shape I mean the two teams they've lost to this year number six Northwestern number 13 Florida it's not the worst thing in the world and Boston College like you said is waiting in that final regular season matchup so hopefully uh, Syracuse can get something together before then because I don't think this Florida loss is gonna torpedo their season so I, I started and I preface what I said with bad loss because I think it's a bad loss to the standards of Syracuse women's lacrosse. I think that if we had someone on that women's lacrosse team on FIS 5, they would say it was a bad loss, not just because of the bad start. Megan Carney barely got going. She didn't, she didn't score against, against Northwestern. I mean, and not just that. Megan Tyrell was nowhere to be seen in the first half, just like she was against Duke. So you're right. The trends are starting to, uh, you know, build up on this SU women's lacrosse team. And then you finally face a really, really, really good uh, uh, goaltender in Sarah Resnick, who's on the Toroton watch list. And, and what happens? You telegraph your shots. And there's a reason she's one of the top 25 players in all of women's lacrosse. She makes great saves, made 11 saves against Syracuse. So it's not like the SU offense, you know, sputtered enough where I'm saying, oh, the season's over. No, no, no. It's more that the trends are starting to build up. It's starting to turn into a mountain where, you know, a bad goal, bad goalkeeping for Syracuse. Kimber Howard and Delaney Schweitzer, they got to figure something out. I get you don't have the All-American Nasa Goldstock anymore. It doesn't matter. You got to figure it out, especially because the prowess of that defense is great, but they've kind of sputtered a bit. So you have bad, bad goalkeeping. On top of that, the defense is relying a little too much on Sarah Cooper. I think Katie Goodale has to do a much better job uh, on the defensive side, especially when when Syracuse is sliding over to an offensive player. It just seems like they get caught in, in a lot of whether it be screens or switches. Um, on top of that, uh, there's a lot of star power on this team, and it doesn't seem like Syracuse is managing it well. It seems like if if Emma Tyrell and Emily Harris Chuck take a uh, you know sit in the captains and the and the co-pilot seat, it just seems like Megan Carney and Megan Tyrell as a, you know by default as a result will will drop back in the backseat of the plane. It just, it just I'm looking at this team and saying it's a very very good team. They're going to drop in the rankings a little bit. I understand it's 13th ranked Florida. I want to tell you they're two and four on this season. They're 0-4 against uh, against top 10 teams. So it's not like number 13 in the country uh, you know, says, oh, well, this team is 5-1 and one, or they've had a lot of good wins. In women's lacrosse, a lot of the times in lacrosse in general, even if you have a losing record, 
there's just not that many teams. To, a lot of teams in the rankings will be between that 10 and 20 spot that only have one win and three or four losses just because of the strength of schedule. So I just think by the standard of Syracuse women's lacrosse, it was a bad loss. And a big reason why is when you have the talent that they have on the offensive side, I, it shouldn't matter that Sarah Resnick is in goal. It shouldn't matter that you have a Twarton watch list member in goal. And I think that translates over to the men's side as well. When you have that much offensive talent, it shouldn't matter who's on the other side. And I just think that Syracuse women's lacrosse has to watch the film and really look at the intricacies that down them, not just in the first quarter, but in the fourth quarter, they were down 13 to six. The reason they got close is okay, the offense started to pick up, pick up the pace a little bit. But hey, that, that, I just think that this SU women's lacrosse team has to look back at the film and say, okay, we cannot be playing like this when we go to BC because we got Charlotte North and company and this will be a, a, a 10 goal game if Syracuse played as they did against Florida. Now shifting over to the men's lacrosse side to, to round out our, our fizz five here, here on orange fizz. Okay. I know it's early in the season, Carter, but can SU men's lack still make uh, like a run to the tourney? I mean, I, and I don't want to, I, I don't want to throw it out there and, and seem blasphemous like okay well the season's over but this team is I mean what two and four on the season just lost to Johns Hopkins now not ranked it's only the second time in the last 10 seasons I mean I feel like if there's one thing that we didn't touch on with our five topics is it what can this SU men's lax team turn it around turn it around maybe (laughs) and then tournament wise I think can they they could but it's very conditional and it'll be very hard what's the so, condition the condition is that they probably had, they had to finish at least 500 yeah i think if they if they finish so 14 regular season games they they're two and four six games in with eight left so 14 game regular season i think they have to go at least seven and seven with a couple wins against ranked teams in there because if you finish strong especially with wins over good teams, you could maybe sneak your way in there as a lower tournament seed. But Syracuse has had some years in the past where they've been higher up in there, had more impressive teams. But in terms of a start, this is about as bad of one as you could have hoped for for Syracuse, 2-4 and four and 0-4 oh and four against top 25 teams, including that loss against John Hop- Johns Hopkins that I really thought they would have because the Blue Jays were limping coming into that one, having lost three of four. And I thought if Syracuse was going to show something, it would be there. Instead, they they went quiet. And six of their last eight games for Syracuse are against top 25 teams. That is tough. That is a tough road to travel. Only Stony Brook and Albany are not right now. Hey, you got Stony Brook this weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's all, it all starts right here. And then you got the Great Danes to prop up the table later. But for the, the record wise, I think 500 would maybe get it. And then anything better than that would just be gravy. But I don't know. At this point, Syracuse two and four, they've had trouble scoring. I just don't think they have the horses offensively to, to hang with these better teams, especially in the ACC. They have the misfortune of being in a conference with Duke, with Virginia, with UNC. They had to play Maryland this year. And Notre just, Dame. No, twice, Notre Dame up. twice. Exactly. I mean, it's just a brutal stretch. And I think people felt that way coming into the season that it wasn't that Syracuse was, was bad. I mean, they're still ranked. They're just like lower or they were before Johns Hopkins. I mean, they've been ranked the whole season, even as they started to lose games, not because they're a bad team, but because they might play the the most difficult schedule in the country. 
If not, it's definitely up there along with the other ACC teams. So if the first year for Gary Gate is a wash on the men's side, I don't think it's on him. I, I just think the cupboard was left somewhat bare after a bunch of guys graduated last year. You had the whole Chase Scanlon situation. Um, he's clearly a good coach, and I think he'll have success. But I think a first-year tournament miss might be in the cards if they can't turn something around pretty dramatically. Well, the biggest issue is you go up against Johns Hopkins, the game that you need, and you outshoot him 54 to 29, and you lose. I mean, that should, that, that should be the definition of the season so far, which is, okay, this team is good, but they are, uh, what, 10 made shots away from being great? I just I find it funny that you have one of the most prolific offensive minds in all of lacrosse as your head coach, one of the most prolific defensive minds in all of the game of lacrosse as your defensive coordinator. And the defense is holding up, and it's the offense that's struggling. And this is not on Pat March. I think it's more on these players are adapting to new roles. The amount of times that I've gone to go talk to you know, where they have the, the lacrosse media ops here here in Syracuse, and you go talk to Brendan Curry and Tucker Dordovic, and you have to ask them, so you're a veteran now. A season ago, you know, we were talking about Jamie Trimboli, right? We were talking about Stephen Rafis, and now all of a sudden you have to be the lead horseman on this team. I just think that the, the stage, it's not too tall for them, but I don't think that they're there yet. So this is a Syracuse team that is, I think they have the hardest schedule in the country. I don't think it's close. It's a gauntlet. I mean, you're fifth in the ACC out of five teams, and you have to play all of them on top of the fact that you're playing Maryland. And then Johns Hopkins, who's not a bad team, right? Even Cornell, they're third in the country. I just – I this Syracuse team needs a whole lot of help. Uh, Jacob Fop, I think, is one name that's been – kind of thrown into the shadows because this, this team can't get it done on offense. So he's going to be integral. Uh, I think it comes down to, can the defense keep up their stride as they did against Johns Hopkins? And can that maybe propel some sort of confidence on the offensive side? But if you say the, the no tournament in the first years in the cards, I think that the cards are, are already halfway shown. Um, I, I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of hope in the student product. Yeah, and I think we forget that the the loss the loss of Owen Hiltz I think hurt them badly. I think you know even yeah. though he was coming into what his sophomore season, but imagine really, he, really good he, freshman year. He would have been at least some a person that could have been a decoy for Tucker Dorda. Tucker Dordovic yeah. is in a is in traffic. He's in California. He's back on the West Coast, but he dropped it from the Oregon. He kind of drove down the five went down to California and he's stuck in traffic because you just have to double Tucker and who are you, you going to get it to Lucas Quinn who just is, he's a standstill shooter. Not a bad thing. You don't have a Dodger on this team. I, or one of these, one of these new names, you know, Mikey Berkman who has had his moments, but everyone kind of had to learn who he was. And even if Owen Hills was back, he's not like an ex guy. He's not, he's not going to sit behind your, your opponent's goal and, and just call the shots and do everything. But he had a good freshman season. I mean, he was up there in goals and you know, every, all things considered was a success. I, I think, you know, once he went down with that, what they called it an upper body injury back in January, if, if memory serves, I think we knew at that point that they were going to have a little more trouble, but maybe we weren't sure that it would be quite like this. Yeah. 
it's unfortunate because the expectation was so high, but I also think it's not a bad thing because next year you're not, you're not losing Tucker Dordovic. He still has, I mean, at this point, Dordovic has 45 years left of eligibility. Uh, he's not going to go back to Oregon uh, unless he gets drafted, but you, you know, Mikey Berkman, at least maybe he could, you know, uh, become an offensive weapon because he's used to being a reserve midfielder after he had his injury a couple of years ago. So it's nice that he's back to his normal spot as attack as he played in high school. Uh, I think right now is a developmental season. And as many people don't want to admit it because this has been a rough, uh, a rough go for not just Syracuse men's basketball, but Syracuse football and now lacrosse. And uh, that's why all my, I, I'm putting all my chips on the table for Syracuse women's lacrosse. <laughs> Maybe that's why I said it's a, it's a bad, it's a bad loss to Florida because all my chips right now are exposed. My cards are exposed. And they read, please, Syracuse women's lacrosse. I have full faith in you. Let's get it done. I think that's what I'm, I'm hanging my hat on. It was, it was them and the women's ice hockey team who were carrying the, the torch for quite a while. Now it's the women's hey. lax trying to, trying to close it out. I don't mind. I'm going to be honest. I don't mind at all. I just, I think that everyone needs to realize like, you know, if those are in the forefront and in the back burner are, are, is like a Syracuse men's lacrosse team that you're used to seeing having a lot of success. That's fine. I, but I think that these seasons for whether it be football, basketball, or lacrosse are all developmental, and that's a good thing for the future. And so, hey, that wraps up Fizz 5. Uh, talking about the, the top five headlines in the last week of Syracuse Athletics, make sure you uh, head to our website, orangefizz.net. Give us a follow on Twitter, at orangefizz, as well as SoundCloud. And, yeah, read all of our articles because we're going to continue to pump them out because sports, they don't stop in the Salt City even when basketball, football, and a lot of the other sports are done and we only have lacrosse to talk about. So continue to check those out. With Carter Bainbridge, I'm Cameron there. We say so long and catch Fizz 5 next week. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.